So this is a heaps heavy passage. Um, yeah. So what is the passage saying? Um, is the passage saying tonight that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven? Because that's the message that it kind of portrays when you read it at face value. Um, I'm going to open tonight by being honest with you guys. Um, it heaps gets to me, this passage. Um, like it frustrates me, and I'll give you a few reasons why. Um, at first, you know, I read it, and I was like, there's no mention of either men fearing God or loving God or being saved by God, you know? Um, it doesn't tell us if either of them loved God while they were alive. And, um, you know, the story of their lines is just, the story of their life is merely a few lines. And then um, the moral of the story seems to take place from either heaven or hell. Um, And that really got to me, and it took me a little while about, you know, to feel comfortable about preaching this. You know, and secondly, it gets me, um, because it's heavy, for two reasons. See, I don't feel comfortable, you know, it's hard to stand up here and, and, you know, talk to, you know, a hundred and something people um, about a topic and, you know, teach you guys about a topic that I do struggle with. Um, But in saying that, we need to remember as people that teach, and you guys in the, in, um, the, the youth, need to remember that everyone that comes up here struggles with sin just the same as you guys do. Um, that it should be a comfort to you to know that while we don't all struggle with the same sins, we all struggle with sin as a whole. Um, so that's pretty important for you guys to know that you're in this together. You know, your leaders aren't perfect. Um, so it should be an open avenue for you to come talk to us at any time. So the other reason... Um, it's heavy, is because it's talking about hell, and that's a touchy subject. Um, and it's talking about money. And let's face it, pretty much all of us are rich in some way. Um, we may not drive, have fancy cars or houses. Um, you know, we might not have a lot of money. But compared to the rest of the world, we're really filthy rich. So I'm required to teach God's word truthfully um, and faithfully. So I'm going to be approaching the topic of hell truthfully, lovingly. Um, seriously and reluctantly because it's one of those issues. Um, So um, before I start, I'm just going to read a quote um, by my favourite pastor, apart from Hurdy. His name's Matt Chandler, and I've been reading his book, To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain. It should come up on the screen. Um, I'm not a big reader. Um, I hate reading, let's be honest. The Bible, the devotions, that's sick. Anything other than that sucks. But I'd recommend... Reading, um, maybe a book like this, maybe for year 12, because um, it is a bit deeper, but, you know, you guys have got to, got resources, so um, I'd recommend reading. But he said something that I'm not going to try and re-explain, so I'd rather just quote him. Sometimes in the evangelical church, I get nervous because of the way the Bible talks about rich people. Not because I'm rich, but because I'm fo- kind of fond of rich people coming to my church. But the Bible lays it on really thick. Hey, rich guy, it's going to be really difficult. The Bible says a lot about the danger of riches. So if you preach the Bible, you end up preaching the dangers of riches quite a bit. And I always feel like people who have done well for themselves, you know, they leave church with their tails tucked between their legs. Maybe they're getting into their bends or whatever and feel ashamed, thinking, I'm sorry, I own nice things. But while the Bible warns us about riches, it doesn't do so because money itself is inherently bad. It's not sinful to be wealthy. In other words... I think the Bible is going after our hearts. The temptations for, rich, for people who have money are peculiar, strong temptations. Once you've received a lot of money, whether you've earned it, inherited it, or won it, it becomes very easy to think you deserve that money. 
And once you're in entitlement mode, it takes no effort at all to believe you're entitled to more than you currently have. So that's where I stand now. Um, I've got to talk about some delicate issues, not because I love talking about them, but because Jesus thought they were important enough to talk about, and therefore we have to teach on them. So I'm just praying tonight that I can convey this message to you in a truthful way without it being a burden. Um, So I'll just pray now before we start. Uh, Lord, I thank you for a sick shelter that we can come and hang in outside of the rain. Lord, I thank you that your word um, touches every part of life, God, um, that you have something to say. Um, in the handbook of you know how to live, really, God. Um, I thank you that you um, made a way for us, Father God. So I pray that tonight I will preach your word faithfully. Um, maybe your word coming out of my mouth, not mine, and anything that is not of you may it fall to the ground. Amen. So once again, is this passage saying that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven? So I reckon this parable divides into three sections. I kind of originally called this the big warning, um, and I think it says it up top, Jesus' big warning, yeah, um, because there's a lot in there, to be honest. Um, these points can stand alone as individual biblical truths, but they're linked together by one story, so I wasn't sure how to attack this, um, but tonight I've kind of I've broken it up into the three points that I think are quite important about Christian doctrine um, that I think you guys um, can get your heads around. So... Point one of tonight is the way you use your money could buy you a ticket to hell. And that's meant to be heavy because that's what the Bible says. So leading up to this parable in chapter 16, we see Jesus talking to the disciples about money, uh, the way that they as followers should use their money. Um, In verse 14 and 15, we see the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So I think this is a good insight into this parable. Um, Jesus here is most likely having a go at Pharisees for the way they themselves use their money, Um, and he has this go at them over and over again. Um, So with that in mind, let's dive into the parable and see what he's saying here specifically. So, two characters... The main character, you'd say, is the rich man. Um, He gets most of the dialogue and attention pointed towards him. So it's quite likely that in the story he represents Pharisees. Um, However, this message is definitely for us. I mean, I was definitely hit by it. Um, The man lived his life with plenty, you know. He he was dressed in um, purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So for us, purple's like sick. It's purple. But... For him, it's kind of like represented rich royalty. It was, di- it was like a dye that they could get if you were rich. and It's a whole thing. Um, but So that pretty much contextually is to symbolise this guy was rich. He was wealthy. He was very high up in society. Um, the man lived with everything he needed and more. Um, and that's all we hear about the rich man. One sentence, and he's dead. Then we see the poor man. Lazarus, a beggar who was covered in sores, he was longing to eat scraps from the food, uh, food scraps from the rich man's table. Doesn't say he got them. And once again, that's all we hear, and his life's over. So to stop here, this is all the information we get about the life of the two men. No mention of salvation, of either men fearing God, of either men loving God, just one was rich and one was poor. 
and the next scenes in heaven and hell. So the poor man is carried by the angels to Abraham's side and the rich man is buried and goes to Hades or hell where he's in torment. In verse 25, we see the apparent reason for this. Um, and it says, But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's in comfort and you're in agony. So that's the reason. The rich guy had a good life, so he goes to hell. Lazarus had a hard life, so he gets heaven, apparently. But we know now that that can't be right. We know it isn't the case for us, you know. When we trust Jesus as our king and we follow him, we're accepted into heaven. And if we ignore him, we deserve hell. So we know that. So what is the point that Jesus is trying to get across in this passage? See, I think I agree with Chandler, I think, where he says Jesus is coming after our hearts. As Christians, we need to come to realise about a lot of things that not one specific issue can make or break salvation. So money cannot make or break our salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith, given by Christ, not by our works. And what I mean by that, if you're new with us to church... When we follow Jesus, so when we choose to follow Jesus, um, we're saved into his kingdom. It's as simple as that. But the saved heart becomes a changed heart. And I think Jesus is trying to show us that a changed heart will um, show us that a heart should have changed um, and have changed priorities once it's saved. Um, and the way we use our money, you know, is one of those things. Um, so as Christians, what he's trying to say is the way that we use our money should look radically different from the way those of the world use their money. Um, so in saying that, tonight, the way that you use your money can show if you're actually a Christian. And that should sink into you. Um, it sunk into me. I know you guys probably don't have much money at the moment. Um, I know I didn't have a whole heap. I had, I had a job. I had enough to get by. But, um, yeah. Um, starting with little can lead to big things. Um, if you could hypothetically grab receipts of everything you spend your money on and everything that a non-Christian spends their money on, do you reckon there'd be a difference? And that's a question that, obviously, I don't want you to yell out, but it's something that I think is pretty important for you guys to maybe sit down, maybe not now, but um, tonight, um, and think. Hypothetically, if I could grab receipts of everything I spent my money on, would it look the same as my non-Christian friend? Um, and there should be some difference. You know, it's not going to be completely radical, but you should see a difference. So I just want to look at some applications for it. Um, firstly, if you don't consider yourself as a Christian, you're just here having a time, um, forget about money talk. Um, your first priority is getting things right with God. You know, um, asking him to be your king, because once you do that, he will change your priorities. And I don't mean, I mean that, you know, have a chat to someone and let them know what you're thinking. Um, you know, don't worry about what I'm talking about, money. That's not your main priority. But maybe you're someone that has turned and you've already trusted in Jesus, but you haven't given this area over of your life. Um, you should repent. You should start doing the stuff Jesus is telling you to do. Um, if a year from now you look at your life and you think, well, I haven't really changed the way I'm spending money, maybe that's something you need to look at um, 
and, you know, spend some time with God because that could be a sign that you're not actually a Christian. It's this serious. Um, but what does a Christian, you know, what does Christian look like with their money? Do we live it up in indulgence while neglecting the immediate needs of those around us? So, like, man, that, that guy was just living it up, loving life, and he had someone just sitting at his gate. It would have been nothing for him to give him a couple of bucks. Um, but, so do we as Christians just have a sick life and forget about those, the needs of others, their physical needs and their eternal needs? See, our money should be spent to ensure we're doing our bit to meet the needs of the world. And it gets harder as you get more money, trust me. Um, I was, we were talking about this at Growth Group the other night. Um, when I have less money, I'm more generous. As soon as I start earning more, I want to hold on to that money so tight, I don't even want to buy myself anything. Um, and I don't know why it works like that. I have no idea, but it does. Um, so believe me, starting with good habits is very important. If you have 20 bucks, give a little bit, because it matters. In verse 10, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with little will also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So Jesus says to start with good priorities at a younger age with little. So that's where the application for this part lies. So now we first need to understand what the part, this part of the passage isn't saying, um, and that is that money is evil, we should be poor, and rich people are destined for hell. Before we can grasp what the passage is saying, and that is money can be good or evil. We should be generous. Rich or poor, Jesus offers salvation. And the way that you use your money can show whether you're really a Christian. So, for point one, how do you use your money? C.S. Lewis puts it real nicely, so I want to end on this. In his book, Mere Christianity, he said, there ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. I think that he's got it bang on. The second point tonight is that ticket to hell is one way. Um, so even this morning I was, jumped on Facebook and I saw a post that someone, an article that someone posted about the Pope who apparently denied hell. Um, I think it's a hoax, or I really hope it is. But there is a big group in Christian, Christian circles that's um, denying hell. Um, they say that God is love and therefore why would he send people to hell? But in order for God to be love, God also needs to be just. Um, and by just, I mean fair. So for God to be loving, he needs to repay all the bad things that have happened on earth. So he needs to punish all the people that do evil and that is the idea of a loving God because loving comes with another side. See, so when I read this passage and I was thinking of, you know, what strikes me, I really, it got to me, Jesus just talks about hell. It doesn't explain it. It doesn't feel the need to tell them, oh yeah, hell. No one questions it. It's just a setting. That tells me that no one, no one denied hell. Jesus doesn't question it. It's a fact. And it's, a big fact that we can't escape talking about. Um, so let's have a look quickly at what we read about hell. Um, in verse 23, we see the rich man in torment. So hell is painful. He cries out, I am in agony in this fire. 
hell is eternal and inescapable. Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. So for me, that is heartbreaking, and it's hard to talk about, because I have non-Christian friends, I have non-Christian family who don't want to hear the truth. Um, and hell is a reality, and they will face hell. And at the moment, they deserve it. And it hurts because I know the truth, but they don't. Um, and they're my friends and my family. So it's a reality that I don't want to face, but if I neglect to face it, does that mean it doesn't exist? That just means I'm naive. It doesn't change anything. See, the poor man, life on earth, however long that was, was the longest hell that he'll ever face. He'll ever face. For the rich man, life on earth was the longest heaven that he'll ever get to taste. So for us in this building, who have put our hope in Christ, no matter how bad this life may be, this is the closest to hell we'll ever be. And heaven is going to be so sweet. Because um, he's just up there. He's loving life. He's had a great feast. Um, see, we've been given in the eternal cure for hell, and I can hold it in one hand. It's the word of God. It's on my phone. It's in my drawer. It's in hotels. I've got one in my car that I don't even need. Like, it's in an abundance. It's the highest selling, the most printed book of all time, should I say. And it holds the key to life in Christ. Yet, for some reason, people still don't find it. Um, and that's sad. And as much as, you know, I can bring my family to church, they don't find it. Um, and that's hard. So it's hard to talk on. And that leads me to my last point. We have been given everything we need to be saved. So, um, look at verse 27 with me. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So what we see in this conversation, um, it becomes apparent that the rich man's brothers are living the same way as him. So they're probably living in abundance. They're probably also neglecting the needs of the poor. Um, and the rich man's like, well, I've got to warn them because I don't want them to come here too. See, he says to Abraham, can you send Lazarus? And, uh, and Abraham refuses. What Abraham says is they've received everything that they need to know from Moses and the prophets. So when he's talking about that, he's talking about probably the first five books of the Bible. They know, they would know that off by heart probably. And they would have the instruction of how to live, um, you know, how to look after the poor. Yet they neglect it. 
They don't have a lack of evidence. They just don't want to believe what they've got. Because once you're comfortable and you're rich, like what um, that quote was, you believe you're entitled to it. I mean, I'm rich. I worked hard for this money. I put in 80 hours a week. This guy's living on the street. What does he do? He just sits there. He doesn't deserve my money. And as harsh as that sounds, that's a pretty common way to look at money. And that could be the way that these guys are looking at it. See, when I read this, I thought of that immediate context of, you know, Lazarus rising and um, Abraham saying, you know, that's... um, that, yeah, someone rising from the dead isn't going to save them. But then I thought about it. Um, As a Christian now, I can't help but think about Jesus. See, at this point, Jesus is on his way to um, Jerusalem. See, it's very possible he's alluding to the fact of like, hey, I'm going to rise from the dead. You have all the books of the prophets that point to me, but you're not even going to realise it. And later in Luke 24, uh, 24, 25-27... Um, Jesus is chilling with, um, well, there's some blokes walking on the road to Emmaus. Um, Jesus comes to them disguised and they're chatting about what's happened. So they're, they're talking about the death and resurrection and, and Jesus is like, hey, what are you talking about, guys? Um, and they're saying, oh, didn't you hear, you know, this man, Jesus, has died um, and people have gone to his tomb but he's not there, we don't know what's happened. And he comes back and says, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was, in, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus says it himself. These books are about me and you guys can't see it. Um, so if they don't understand what, Jesus is talk, what the prophets are talking about when they talk about Jesus... They're not going to see the way to be saved. So, now I've got to look at what that means for us now. So, we have the story, you know, God's rescue plan, beginning to end in one book. We've seen the evidence that he was coming. We saw the evidence of his coming. We saw the evidence of his life and his ministry. We see his death. We see his resurrection. And we have everything we need to be saved through Christ. And this just in this word. And this is the way that Jesus chooses to save from hell those that would listen and dive in and accept what he has to offer. See, he says himself that, you know, they shouldn't need any more evidence. But Jesus himself rose again and completed it. Um, and that's pretty powerful. So if you're someone who kind of thinks, like, I need more evidence, what Jesus says here to you is that you don't need more evidence. Um, You've got all the evidence you need. You just don't want to believe it. So be honest and ask yourself tonight, if that's you, um, is it worth missing out on heaven for, for a lack of evidence that you just don't want to look at? It's here. Um, You've seen the consequences, heaven or hell, and hell doesn't sound like a good time as much as movies like to make it seem like it's all about metal and moshing, um, like little Nicky and stuff. Um, So 
there's a heap growing kind of part in the church today where people are like, we need to wait for signs from God and miracles and wonders. But it's just weird because we have God's voice, like his diary. That in itself is a miracle. It's a miracle that proves he exists. Um, it just takes time to look at it and understand it. So for us that are here that believe and are saved by God, we can't underplay how important this Bible is. Um, we need to spread the word um, because otherwise people that would hear the message um, are destined for hell. So would you? Are you convinced enough of the power of God, the power it has to save? Are you? So that's three points. Um, and I must admit, this talk is quite staggered. I, um, I definitely did have a hard time trying to figure out what to say about such important topics um, and trying to figure out how to put together a talk that would you know, address three massive, massive biblical truths. You know, one of my favourite pastors... Um, when I was first found out I was preaching about this, I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll mull it over, think about it, and then I'll listen to some messages. So that talk, I don't know how long that went for. But the dude that I listened to spent over three hours on this passage. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There is a lot in here that can be fleshed out. Um, so there is big truths. This is Jesus' big warning. It's a warning about three things. The way we use our money, the fact that hell is a real place and a destiny for a lot of people, and the fact that we have all the evidence we need to make a decision, all the instructions to live life the way we should. So just wrapping up, for the Christians tonight, if you're going to take some stuff away from this staggered talk, remember, or ask yourself, how do you use your money, wisely or foolishly? Do you grasp the realities of hell? Like seriously grasp the realities of hell? And do you understand the fact that we have a message to spread, like the cure for hell? And for those of you who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, the number one priority tonight is that you investigate the Bible and make a decision to trust Jesus um, because the consequences are so dire. Um, it, yeah. Your priorities will eventually change, but first of all, your heart needs to change. So if you're one of those people who's like, this guy got up and just talked about hell, I don't know what to say about that, really. Um, chat to someone, someone older. Um, there, there should be questions about something like this. Um, God's word should, should make you question things. Um, so if you do have any questions about hell, chat to someone tonight. So don't just walk away from now, ignoring all the realities. Um, the lessons that Jesus teaches are the most important lessons you're going to ever learn. Um, so spend time examining your life and find out if you actually live out those truths. Um, I'll pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you that you do warn us about, about realities. I thank you that you didn't leave us in a pit of despair. Um, I thank you that you made a way that we would be saved. Father God, um, 
I thank you that you loved us that much, that you would send your son to die for us, that hell wouldn't be our, our um, resting place, God, that you have prepared a feast in heaven. I thank you that you call us there, Father God. I pray that tonight we would examine our lives, examine the way we use our money, be generous um, and live lives that reflect um, the way that you would have us live them. Amen.